Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, we're here at Groundswell 2022, and I'm talking to Professor Andy Neal, soil microbiologist from Rothamsted, and John Crawford, who is leading the Global Soil Health Programme at the University of Glasgow. With all the discussion about regenerative farming and soil health, the big question is, how do we make that happen on farm? And how do we bring science together with farming and farming together with science? So my big question is, well, where do we start? Do we start with the theory? Andy, what, what are your thoughts? I think understanding the theory is critical to this because um, just jumping into a black box and trying to understand the whole thing is without any theory is, is really not going to get us very far. So understanding that theory and we've John and I have been developing a theory now for for I guess about five years it's starting to mature and I think we're both starting to to understand uh, a lot more about the intricacies of soil from a, as a biological system and I think once we start to understand it as a biological system then we can start to understand what the key parts of that system are to focus on and to take care of so that we can improve the health of soil as a you know, as a biological entity instead of just uh, soil that plants stand up in. Uh, thanks, Andy. And, and John, from your perspective, you're responsible for leading the, 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 a global program. Tell us a bit more about what, what does that mean with regards to soil health. Well, I think we're at the point now with with climate change and the biodiversity crisis that we need to stop talking and start doing. And science is all about getting you know being perfect. And but the the, the job of farming is about getting stuff done. And so um, I've kind of want to devote what's left of my career to trying to work with farmers and learn from them. And hopefully they can learn a bit from me about how we can really get this done at scale and on time. Yeah, and, and here at Groundswell, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible the number of farmers, growers and, you know, advisors in the industry who are attending all the seminar tents there, clearly wanting to learn from each other. So... How do we connect that, that science, that understanding of the soils and soil health with the practical elements of farming? Where, where do we actually start, Andy? Well, I suppose the, the route we're taking is, is talking to farmers directly. And, and, and I'm, my research is now focused largely down in Devon, and I'm very lucky in Devon to have a lot of farmers around us that are, that are trying out different regenerative practices. And a lot of them are just... I guess taking a punt they're actually quite brave in what they're doing and in fact very often they're, they're, they're quite a way ahead of, of where our research is at the moment so the way I want to do that is to is to find those farmers and learn from what they're doing when they tell me something's working help them understand why and generate the fundamental understanding of what they're doing that's creating that effect we can then learn from them as, as an academic community but also then proselytize that message out to other farmers who need perhaps a little bit of confidence to think you know I'd like to do it but I'm not sure it works if we can generate that scientific understanding then everyone could be much more confident about you know jumping in and buying new bits of equipment or completely changing the way they farm yeah and and in principle John do you have a a, a view uh, if you like a reality check on, on what farmers are starting to do that is starting to have a benefit on farm I think there are some kind of universal principles where there's a, a, a scientific consensus that bare soil is not a great idea. And, and I, I do see a lot of farmers uh, increasingly using cover crops uh, in winter. 
um, but also thinking about um, and how they disturb their soil and, and maybe using uh, minimum till or, or no-till practices. Um, but, you know, your point about how do we, how do we learn, I, 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 I think is a fundamentally important thing that needs to change. The, the way we do science tends to be quite, first of all, siloed and also in an ivory tower separated from farming. And actually there's a hell of a lot of innovation happening on farm that science misses out on and vice versa. Um, and there's no such thing as a new idea, it's just a, an idea, that it's just a bunch of old ideas cobbled together. Um, in general, that's how the global economy works. Let's create a, an economy of knowledge for farmers. So, <laughs> John's nicely uh, created a question I've got for you now, Andy, and I know you're, you're good friends as well. So. <laughs> Has all the research been done? Is it now about actually bringing all the current understanding together? Is that where we're at? That's a really good question because I think there's a lot of stuff that we already know that certainly needs to be put into practice on farms. And that's possibly partly the, the fault of scientists in not being prepared to come to events like this and talk about what they're doing. Um, you know, as I've worked longer and, and longer in soil, I suppose I started out thinking I was an academic, but now when I sit down and think about my, my job and my career, I'm almost like an extension of the agriculture industry in the sense that I'm, I'm trying to generate the knowledge that farmers are, you know, they're doing experiments all over the country, all over the world. And I think what John and I have discussed a lot is that we should be using those experiments, using our skills to understand what's going on there. So, so the question about this communication of the science and connecting with farmers, John, from your point of view and a global perspective, how, how do you do that? How do we do that? How do we connect with farming communities worldwide? So the way I see it is, is not connecting science to farming, it's connecting farming to science. So that, that, that a lot of the, the way we've done science traditionally has been quite compartmentalised, which means we try to vary only one thing in the lab or in the field. Um, but in reality, everything's varying in, in, in everybody's fields. And, and if we, I take very seriously this fact that we've got a short time to, to transform the way we produce food um, for all sorts of reasons. And, and if we really want to accelerate that innovation process, we need, to, uh, we need to work with the collective intelligence of the farming community out there uh, globally, who are doing real experiments, that have, they call it farming, we call it experiments. They're growing stuff in lots of different environments. They're growing lots of different things in different ways. They're fiddling around using their intuition, um, which is often a very, very good guide. And we're not learning from that. So what we would like to do and, and what we're starting with farmers in, in, in Indonesia, in, in Borneo, in Malaysia, South America, North America and Europe, is starting to develop a platform where farmers have total control over the, their, their, their data and who they share it with, but they start to share with each other and learn from each other. So they own the platform, they create the, the, the knowledge and they share it with who they want to share it with. And I'm hoping we can convince them to share it with scientists so that we can also, in return, share the, the new knowledge. Rather than just farmers listening to hearsay, they can be confident that there's been some kind of scientific analysis done and a consensus globally that certain things work really well in certain circumstances rather than just having to, to listen to hearsay or, or the promises of a company that's looking to make a lot of money out of 
ignorance. And, and let's let's walk up towards the tent. So look, as, as we walk up, and we can see all the stands. Uh, we can see just you know that this event is absolutely it's full, it's buzzing with excitement, and there is excitement in the industry, isn't it? But the, the bottom line that farmers have come here to really find out is so what? So, and, and Andy, that is the question. You, you're a scientist. Uh, you've done incredible work. The, the so what is, what can a farmer achieve to give that farm resilience and profitability for the future? What, what are they going to be doing that's really going to make that big difference? <laughs> that's a really interesting question because I think a lot of it focuses, brings the discussion down to, to organic carbon in soil, which I'm concerned is largely dis discussed as a point of we need to sequester carbon in soil. And if sometimes if you listen to the media and what's being discussed that's the sole reason we should be interested in carbon but but what we've john and my work has been showing that what well, other people's work as well it's not just us that soil carbon is actually an intrinsic part of soil you can't have soil without carbon and so when it comes to the so what if you if you take care of the organic matter in your soil we, we know we have the evidence now that you create a much more resilient system and it's resilient because it stores more water during dry periods because this organic matter and the combination between organic matter and microbial respiration and metabolism creates a much more porous network in soil rather like a sponge the more pores in there the more water it can hold and we've got clear distinct evidence and I don't think there's any argument about this scientifically anymore that the more carbon you have in your soil up to a limit the greater porosity you store, you create, and you store more water. That also creates uh, a sort of place for water to run away. So you start controlling the whole water cycle by having healthy, carbon-rich soils. So you know, there's there's, although the discussion is predominantly you know, drowned out, and it's all about sequestration. Actually, the real benefits for farmers are all these co-benefits that we're now starting to understand and. and we're now starting to understand that that poor network has a control on, on how, many, how much nitrogen is stored in your soil. And if you store more carbon, you naturally are storing more nitrogens. And that's another form of resilience that organic matter in soil creates. So there are, it's not some esoteric discussion of sequestration. There are some real tangible, practical benefits of having organic matter in soil. And if you want to learn more or hear more about understanding organic matter and soil, then do listen to um, Andy's podcast uh, that's on tram lines. It's really, really interesting in terms of understanding that science uh, and some of the research that he's done. But John, coming back to you, we, Andy's just talked about uh, water, soil water and the resilience from that perspective. But the big question lots of farmers are asking, and I'm sure worldwide too, is well, what about the benefits in terms of nutrient availability? So... I think foremost in, in farmers' minds right now is cost of inputs. Um, now, the financial cost of inputs has rocketed um, horribly um, and, and is, is becoming a massive issue. Um, but of course, the environmental cost of inputs is also high. Um, so we, we oft, Andy and I often joke, I, I, uh, my background is in physics and I deal with dead stuff and he deals with the living stuff and together we kind of deal with soil. Um, Conventional agriculture has either short-circuited the living parts or killed it, right? That's how we deal with biology in agriculture. But living with nature and uh, creates a whole bunch of benefits for farmers. Uh, the natural fertility of soil becomes boosted. The input inputs can be lower. Uh, what you input can be used more efficiently. Um, greater resilience uh, of, of the system. So there's kind of three benefits to farmers uh, 
total throughput, which links to yield, will increase. The resilience, which is uh, how stable is your yield to changes in climate, which is increasingly hard to predict now. And efficiency, so how much of the money that you spend on inputs actually ends up in the plant. That's what we're trying to optimise with the science that we're doing. Sure, so I'm going I'm to challenge you guys even further, because we're talking about the impact on farm and linking science with the farming. What does that actually mean for the farmers, the farm businesses that are there right now? What, what, is, what, what are they going to be able to see financially as a benefit or in terms of gain in crop performance or even just maintaining performance? What, what, what do you think they can look forward to expecting? I think the benefits we're seeing would be a reduction in inputs. So to what extent? I mean, a reduction in inputs is easy for anybody to talk about, but do you think it's feasible, as some farmers are talking about, of reducing their, their nitrogen inputs by 30 40% on some farms on some soil types? Well, but look at the increased nitrogen that's been stored in soil in, yeah, in the point. experiments that we've been on, yeah. like the paper that you're literally publishing that's right That's right. So that's, <laughs> yes, no, you're right, John. If so I can prompt there, you. There is, there, there is two or three times as much nitrogen stored in soil if you're, if you have ready access to a lot of composted farmyard manure. And we think that this, this relationship between carbon and nitrogen and metabolism in the soil means that the more organic carbon you sequester, the more organic nitrogen you're holding as well. So that, that means that you can get away with, with putting less bagged nitrogen in there. So a lot of the benefits will not necessarily be in increased yield, but will come from reduced inputs. And there are, there's other evidence as well that suggests you know, a plough moves much more easily through a soil that has a lot of organic matter in it, so you're saving on diesel as well. There's, there's lots of little bits that all add up to quite a lot. Now, I'm not sure we've, we've actually totted that all up to say, and the number is, but there's a lot of evidence out there that all these little things can add together to help farmers lower their bottom line or increase their bottom line. Sorry. Uh, I, uh, and, and that's what we're hearing from farmers. You know, when, when we're interviewing them here on, uh, on tram lines, we're hearing evidence, pieces of evidence from around the UK. And sometimes it's not easy to quantify it in terms of pure pounds, shillings and pence, so to speak, but we are hearing that. And you, as you said, you bring that all together. It's a real benefit in this challenging time, isn't it? I'm really interested, John, from a global perspective, are these needs of farmers the same worldwide? Yeah. Um, you know, if there's one magic wand that I would like to wave um, for the farming community globally, it's double everybody's salary. Um, farming has been, it, it's, it's a race to the bottom. Farmers, because farming is so fragmented as a, as a community globally, um, they are, it, it's hard to, to fight against the big players. Um, and one of the things that we would like to do by creating this sharing platform is essentially create a global cooperative um, and, and empower farmers with data in the same way that Google is empowered by data um, to have more agency in the discussions moving forward about how farming should look. Because farmers farm the way they have to farm to make a living and it's scraping a, increasingly scraping a living and in, in many countries it's it's literally survival. Um, that needs to change. If we want farmers to invest in the environment, we have to pay them. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we need a profitable farm 
farming industry, don't we? Because then those farmers are able to invest in new techniques, exactly. attend events like yeah. today and, yeah. and actually invest their time, don't they? Yeah, we want an, the next generation of young, vibrant farmers coming along who are really excited, not just about how farming produces food, but how it produces a whole bunch of co-benefits cool that Andy was talking about. Flood protection, climate yeah. uh, mitigation, um, of course, nutritious food. I mean, our food system literally is the biggest cause of chronic disease globally. How does that work, right? We, we need to change very much the way we do things and, and farmers are, should be in the driving seat of that. And in terms of that change, that leads me on to ask the, the final question of today, really, which is what top tip would you really ask listeners to think about as they go off into their day's work in terms of what they should focus on and really, really look into that could make that big difference, that transition. Uh, maybe it's understanding the science to be able to put that into practice on farm, but what thought is that? Andy, I can see you thinking in a very pensive way. What's your top tip? Well, I, th I think the top tip I've learnt is disturb your soil as little as possible. And I know that, that I'm not a practical farmer, so I know that there are good reasons to disturb your soil in some instances. But I would always think, do I really need to disturb this soil? Because if there's one thing that we've shown Im directly influences the amount of organic matter in soil and all of these co-benefits that we've discussed today, it's how long ago did you dis last disturb the soil? And if that is very recent, then your soil will be in a worse off state than if it was five years ago. That ploughing or, or some sort of disturbance is, is really is the most detrimental thing that I've come across um, in all the research that we've done. Thanks Andy and John you know from your perspective and also from that global farming perspective what are your thoughts? Teamwork, <laughs> work together, um, share with each other, cooperate um, and you know I hope that that we're able to make the case that, that farmers can work with science and trust science Farmers struggle to know who to trust for new knowledge, and we're moving, I think, into a biological era with farming. Um, it, that is not a turnkey solution. That's hard to do, and it's very site-specific. And farmers will, will say that it's too expensive and it doesn't work. It will get cheaper as more people use it, and it will work if we share our knowledge. So, so Andy, uh, we're here at Groundswell. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Um, it's a very busy event. What are you enjoying the most? I guess what I'm enjoying the most and what I enjoyed the most last time I came is actually getting so many people all thinking about the similar way of farming together. To be able to communicate to them, to be able to learn from them, uh, bump into them at the food queue or the coffee queue and, and start to, you know, as an academic, start to understand the problems, the, the fences and hurdles that people, the farmers have to climb over and incorporate that into my thinking when I'm think about you know, what hypotheses do we need to challenge, test next. Well, thank you, Andy, and thank you, John, for that really enlightening discussion about how we can link the science to farming when it comes to regen agriculture and improving soil health. That's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season, exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions that you'd like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.